Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Well, hello. Um, uh, welcome to one of our Market Garden feature podcasts. We have ways of making you talk. And I'm speaking to you now from just outside the Hartenstein Hotel in Oosterbeek, which um, those of you know about the battle and those you don't, um, was the headquarters for 1st Airborne Division in the Battle of Arnhem, or ended up the headquarters. They, they put the headquarters there for a bit and they were, they were planning to move it, but of course then they got stuck and they couldn't. I've been here several times before. I've just, in fact, what we did a moment ago, and it's on my Twitter feed, I posed for a photo in the place where Roy Urquhart famously posed for his photo outside his headquarters with the Pegasus pendant stood next to him that he that his Batman then smuggled out when they swam across the river or came back across the river. Anyway, I've been here several times before. Uh, once when I was a kid with my dad uh, in the in the mid-80s when I did an O-level history project about the Battle of Arnhem. So this thing's been with me a long time. Then I came here in 2004 when I made a TV programme here and then I came back the next year because I wanted to actually be here rather than be filming a thing here where you don't get to actually take time and look at the things you want to look at. And then we're back now. Um, the big change is there's a visitor centre here at the Hartenstein. They've put an annex on the side, obviously, for handling the visitors, and it's got a, it's got a gift shop. Um, we have, to set the scene, you can hear pipes and drums in the background. Also, you might be able to hear, I'll direct the microphone towards it, but they're tens of thousands of feet away. The throb, is the right word? It's a throb. A pair of Hercules, I think they're Hercules, C-130, that's what they look like from here, that have been circling round and round... Used to be um, Arnhem and Rankham and Hilsom and all those names from the battle that you might know. They've been certainly around since we got here about an hour and an hour and a, hour and a half ago. Um, I think they're rehearsing because there's a great big drop on on uh, Saturday of this week. I think Saturday morning, loads of people parachuting. A notable thing about now is that you've got maroon beret soldiers from all over the world here who are all visiting. Um, there's Americans, there's, there's Italians, Dutch, all, all, all sorts of people from all over the world who are visiting, because this is a one way or another, if you're a parachuting soldier, this is an iconic place to come, I guess. Interesting they come here and don't go to Normandy. Normandy's a success, this is the resounding failure, but there you go. When we drove here, we drove, we flew into Schiphol, and then we drove down, um, uh, round a great big Amsterdam ring road, past Utrecht, and then we came across the top of Holland, and because it's tiny Holland, that's the thing. It only took us an hour to get here from the airport and a bit. And then we turned right off the main road um, for Oosterbeek. And as we were driving towards Oosterbeek, we realised that in fact we were in the middle of the battlefield, the woods, and the Polish drop zone at Johannahova, where um, on the Tuesday the 19th of September, and we're going to do a feature-length thing about the whole of Tuesday, where the 4th Parachute Brigade basically was destroyed um, in an attempt to push around the north of the town and break into the town and get to the bridge. And we realised, looking at the map on the sat-nav, that that's where we were. And you drive in through there, and then you, we came down to the village of Oosterbeek, and the thing about Oosterbeek is basically 
There's new building here, obviously. It's 80 years ago, pretty much, 75 years ago. But the layout is essentially the same. When we turned right, and you turned right onto the main road that runs past the Hartenstein here, and there's the Schornord Hotel. And that's the edge of the perimeter where they ended up. And there's a very famous painting of the Arnhem Battlefield, of, of, of what was called the, the Hotel. It's a very famous painting. And that's, the, that's where the painting is. And then you drive up a little bit of hill, and then you're here at the Hartenstein, and then you drive another half kilometre, and you're out the, the other side of the perimeter. Because the thing, more than anything else, when you come here, when you walk this ground, is how tiny it is. How tiny the area that First Airborne ended up in. And there's the pipes again. And the striking thing, of course, is to remember that the Hartenstein's in the middle of this sock-shaped perimeter. By the time they've fallen back, they've lost basically four-fifths of their infantry strength. So you're looking at what's left of 4th Parachute Brigade, which is about 400 people. You've got the Border Regiment, who'd been out in the west, defending the drop zones. King's Own Scottish Borders, who've also had a... They've had a kicking. Then it's glider pilots, it's engineers, it's the artillery down by the river, it's headquarters soldiers, it's batmen, it's cooks, it's the clerks that they brought with them in the headquarters. And that's what we're in the middle of right here. Um, and again, I'm, James always says this, and I'm, he's not here to defend himself. You've got to walk the ground. Unless you walk the ground, there's no way of really understanding it. The true way of figuring out what's going on is you've got to walk the ground. And he's absolutely right. Because the, the strange thing about this, about Arnhem, this part of Holland, is it's got hills. You know, you, you come here looking for windmills, and you can still hear those Hercules. They're still going. You come here looking for windmills and... and uh, and canals that's not what this bit of, uh, of Holland's like there's hills here you come up a slight slope to the Hartenstein and the hill rolls gently down towards the river the tennis courts are over there by the way the famous tennis courts which were used um, to house German prisoners of war and the German prisoners were locked in the tennis courts and then cut their own trenches so they weren't um, uh, hurt by the Germans own mortaring and the thing is there were at the height of the battle the last two three days of the battle in the pocket here you couldn't be out in the open like we are now there were snipers everywhere the perimeter was so short so short and it's wooded here as well that's the other thing so the Germans would try and infiltrate through the woods and have to be chased out there's I mean James is right you have to walk the ground I'm quite annoyed that he's right I'm not here to take the mickey out of him but is there something very resonant about being here and knowing that you're you, you, you want to use the expression eye of the storm but this wasn't the eye of the storm because they were right in the middle here. They were being mortared. They were being shelled, snipers, the whole thing. So here we are at the Hartenstein Hotel, and we're going to we're going to go into the uh, hotel, into the museum, and we're going to meet Paul Reed, who is a battlefield guide, um, uh, who knows every inch of round here, and um, which so I'm probably going to embarrass myself. Right, okay, so we're, um, well, we're just outside the uh, gift shop at the Hartstein, um, which wasn't here last time I was here, and I'm joined by Battlefield Tour Supremo, uh, Paul Reed. Welcome, Paul. Thanks, Al. Good and to be here. Busy time for you. It is. This time of year. It is, yeah. We've, we've got a lot of coaches out for the 75th anniversary this week, um, and for me, it sort of marks about a quarter of a century of coming to Arnhem uh, as a visitor, as a battlefield guide, as a historian, and, and bringing veterans back here. Yeah. So it's always a special uh, time of year, really. Fantastic. And, and the museum, because the last time I was here was 2004, this is all new here. I mean, you, I mean, you can probably hear in the background, it's, it's very busy. There's a, I mean, obviously, because it's the, it's the anniversary, it's throngs of people and 
people from armies all over the world. But but this is all new. This museum's new. This this glass bit on the side and it is. I mean, they've taken the original building of the Hartenstein, and it is the original building that was here in 1944. It's still got battle damage on bits of it. You can see, um, and and they've turned it into something modern and new for, for new yeah. visitors. You know, because we might know the story of Operation Market yeah. Garden, but many people coming here for the first time don't. And this sort of museum, what? I know, I know, it's incredible <laughs> to, to believe that, but many people don't, and they they need some interpretation. Yeah. And that's what museums like this are about. So it, it's not for the Arnhem nuts, of which there are many. Um, it is for the ordinary person coming here trying to understand yeah. what happened here and where it happened. And, and have, am I right in thinking they've extended it underneath and everything? So they have, yeah, yeah. So they've used the the, the the original building as much as they can without damaging the the, yeah. the internals of that. And then they've created a huge space underneath the back of the park, close yeah. to where the tennis courts were yeah. during the battle where they kept German prisoners and yeah. so on. There's those famous photographs there. Um, yeah. And they've created a huge space to put additional reconstruction. So battlefield reconstruction, street scenes and all oh, sorts well, of stuff. Oh, well, we should go and so, look then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we can go in. We're going to go, go in. Let's go in. We've bought tickets. Don't, don't panic. We're not just breezing in. Hey, we're a, f a podcast. We've got to pass a different type of security now. <laughs> Thank you. Hi. Hello. That way. Thanks for having us. So we're through security. Well, we had to show our ticket receipt. Um, there's a cafe here, but this this is the this was a hotel, wasn't it? That's it was point. a hotel, yeah. And and you know it's quite fitting, I suppose, that there is a cafe here. There wasn't a cafe for Urquhart and his staff. <laughs> they had to make do with whatever uh, material could be prepared but, but on a Tommy right, cooker. Am I right in thinking that Oosterbeek was a sort of weekending place for? Um, uh, Amsterdamers. So you it, it was, yeah. Cause, it was because uh, it's full of hotels, isn't it? Full of hotels. It was a posh, middle-class uh, suburb where a lot of people that had worked in some of the Dutch colonies had retired to and things yeah. like that. Um, and and it was quite a pleasant place with parks and so on uh, to uh, to come to and, and spend a bit of time near the Lower Rhine. So it's quite well healed here. Yes, it was because yeah. there are grand houses here and there are big hotels and and stuff. So so it's it's sort of like a. I'm trying to think of it. Is it like kind of a Hampstead or something, like somewhere a bit posh? Yeah, where they Crouch were Inn maybe, yeah. Where they were duking <laughs> it out, okay. Yeah, that, that sort of place. Okay. Um, so, but of course when they were looking at actually carrying out an operation here, you know, any commander looks to a building. You know, generals are often criticised for taking over chateaus, yeah. but they need space for their staff. Yeah. You need people to yeah. be able to carry out uh, operational work, intelligence work, um, giving out orders. To do exactly, everything. Yeah. yeah. So you need that space, and this was an obvious building to, to but do But this that. had been um, General Cousin's headquarters, hadn't it? That's right. So it had been a German headquarters abandoned in the early stages of the operation when you know, they, they, were, they weren't sure who was dropping where and, and where, yeah. where their enemy uh, was. Um, and as the operation moved into Arnhem, um, it was then taken over by First Airborne what, staff. Because we're, 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 what, three, four miles from the drop, couple of miles, three miles from the drop zone? Yeah, that's we? right. From the, yes. main, from the first lift drop zone? Yeah, around Wolfhazer and, and up towards Ginkle. Right, yeah. OK. Because yeah. if you're listening to this, this is on our second day of podcasting, so the 18th. Yes. By the 18th, this had been invested as, as the... As the um, uh, first Airborne's headquarters as That's an interim right. headquarters because they were going to move into town once they'd taken a bridge, weren't they? Yes, because you know we're more than 24 hours into, into the battle and things are not quite gone to plan. Um, not as many men had got to the bridge as anticipated. Um, very few people had got to the positions around Arnhem itself to yeah. actually set up the blocking points. Uh, they'd instead themselves been blocked by the Germans yeah. who had reacted with Kampfgruppers, battle groups. Craft very, and Spindler, exactly. important, importantly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. They'd reacted and, very and, quickly to and, that. And 
but so what you've got is people coming up this road, going into Arnhem, because there's a road opposite outside there is, the hotel. That's the Utrechtsweg the, out there. The Utrechtsweg, yep. coming up the Utrechtsweg, feeding down into Arnhem. Yep. But, but this building, because this, after all, on the night of the 18th, if I'm right in thinking, that's when you've got Hicks and Hackett having their terrible argument in the basement here about who's actually right. in charge yes, yep. in the absence of Urquhart. Yes, because he's gone on his cook's tour to, to try and find out uh, <laughs> what's, um, going, um, what's going on. Flapping around like a great wet hen yeah, is what I mean, one of account course, says. You know, the, the, it, there are many armchair generals when it comes to yeah. Operation Market Garden, but for any divisional commander to go off on his own to survey a situation is an interesting scenario. I mean, he literally goes off on his own, doesn't he? Yeah. He go, attaches himself to Lathbury, who's yep. Brigadier of First Parachute Brigade, and off they go. Yep, that's right. And, um, you know, a, a senior officer like that has staff. Yeah. And his staff is charged with carrying out those sorts of duties. That's yeah. what you have brigade majors for, yeah. you have staff officers for, and so on. Not the divisional commander. Yeah. Uh, and it removes, it creates a vacuum because it removes that central point um, and takes him away from the decision-making yeah. process. Yeah. And that's when you get the Well, Because after all, people are meant to come to him and say, what are we going to do now, rather than yes. him thinking, what do I do now? Exactly. <laughs> Sat in a loft with Jimmy Clemenson. So exactly, yeah. That... yeah. Waiting for Panzers to move yeah. on, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, but, they I mean, were, but they wouldn't have been upstairs, but they, they were, it was mainly downstairs. It was the, mainly downstairs, yeah, that's right, because uh, the upper levels, of course, were susceptible to shell and mortar fire increasingly as the battle went on. Yeah. Um, you know, we're coming into the sort of main fabric of the building now. Um, and one oh, of the, yeah. although this is a new modern museum, one of the things I like is this room, because it's full of sets of medals to the ordinary guys that were here. Yeah. You know, these, these aren't the generals, these aren't the brigadiers. Um, there are one or two battalion commanders medals here, yeah. but these are the ordinary guys that were part of that incredible first airborne division um, who have now faded away yeah. and their families wanted to have their memory perpetuated here at Arnhem by yeah. having their medals on display. And it's great. Is that, is that Smythe who was, um, was he 156? Yep, battalion right. commander. That's right. And yeah. uh, there's Reg Curtis there yeah. who I knew. Um, he was in the Schoenords, lost his leg in the, his battalion's advance on the bridge. Um, you know, it's quite incredible for me to come here and actually see the medals of men yeah. that, I'd, that I've met over the years. And, and of course, not just British and Commonwealth soldiers. We've got medals of, uh, of some of the Polish airborne guys yep. here and as well. Yeah, and as a pilot, I assume, there. That's right. The RAF, as you know, played that key, uh, key role in yeah. uh, trying to resupply 1st Airborne Division here. Um, so they're well represented. I mean, it's a good cross-section of, of, of the men that were here yeah. and the different backgrounds that they came to because First Airborne was made up, as you know, of men who were from a lot of different backgrounds from yeah. a military point of view. Um, and, and their medals reflect that service in yeah. North Africa and Italy and in some cases they were regular soldiers from, from before the war. Well, a lot of, a lot of the first passion we gave were guardsmen, weren't they? There, was a, a lot, a, there were a lot of guardsmen there were, in the yeah. original carter, weren't there? Absolutely. Reg Curtis, I mentioned yeah. before, is an, is an exact example of that. And there's Kate to Horst. Yes, yeah, the Angel of Arnhem. Um, you know, one of those incredible figures of the story of the Battle of Arnhem that's... Uh, Took the wounded in and, and in her house and, yes. and ran a, basically ran a field hospital in her in a in her front room. I mean, yep. I mean a bit of the of Bridge Too Far, the film, yeah. which is reasonably accurate. Of, on that on that bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got to, we've got to. I mean, you know, take the rough with the smooth with as, that film. As a battlefield guide, you we often show that film on the way in, and then you spend the rest of the tour debunking the myths yeah. that everybody is accepted within it. Yeah. So it's an interesting uh, use of of Hollywood in that respect. 
<laughs> that's, that's putting that very tact- tactfully. <laughs> that film, that I, lo- I, I love, I lo- love, I'm annoyed by that film in um, equal measure. Yeah, it's one of the greatest war movies. I, I mean, I, I went to see it several times with my dad, who was yeah. a veteran of the war, he fought Anzio. Um, and, uh, you know, he said, well, you know, no war movie can ever really relay what that, was, that experience of war was like. Yeah. But, um, it, you know, for him it was accurate in inverted commas. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this, this part of the building is an important one because this was the main way in and out. Right. And, and a lot of the photographs that we know of the battle were taken in this part of the building. There's a picture of a guy with, an M, with, with a carbine sat that's in this right. window. That's, that's the, the front there with that's the bay the front windows. window, the guy there's, with there's the carbine. There's a balustrade of yeah. the uh, front patios out there. You yeah. can see that in the photographs. But there's lots taken here where you can see bits of this railing yes. in the photographs. And yes. there, there is a bullet hole in this railing if you look at it carefully. But there were lots of shots. There's a famous one of a stretcher group taking yep. a casualty across this, where these uh, airborne guys are sitting there now, taking across that bit of ground there. So this was an iconic point. This was the main point of entry. So they took an awful lot of pictures from here because yep. you didn't want to go out there, did you? Because no, you get was... mortared or snipe, sniped Exactly. Out. I mean, the people that were out there, particularly beyond where that cafe area is now, the only way they were out there was in foxholes yeah. because they were being mortared and they were being yeah. shelled all the time. Yeah. Because uh, that's the striking place. thing. I mean, w- w- when we got here, and, and I, I mentioned it earlier, um, in the introduction to this to this edition, we turned right at the Schoenard, uh coming down from you know Johannover yeah. yeah. uh, uh, and the railway crossing, and then we we drove another minute that way and you're out the other side of the perimeter yeah it is very small it's tiny and how and how much of it's open as well because exactly. i always as a youngster always had this impression that they were they're in buildings but but a lot of it was in open land and in woodland rather than built round strong points the the, the the western end of the perimeter is up up a sort of upper road isn't it it and is buildings and houses yes but, 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 but the rest of it is, um, I mean, I, the bit I've walked this morning, which is the northern tip of it, yep. um, that is very, very urban, shall yep. we say. Um, I think, shall we go down? Because Let's that's, go down, that's yeah. where we've got the sort of street reconstruction. Ah, right. Now, I remember so, the, these are the dioramas yes. or, or the, the, the mannequins and stuff I remember as a kid. Yeah, this is your, your sort of classic um, museum reconstruction and uh, all original kit in there. Yeah. Um, and, and many artifacts in these displays donated either by veterans or, or yep. the family of veterans. And this depicts Urka at. He's finally back at headquarters. Yeah. He's looking at a map. Yeah, what the hell is going on? What the hell, what on earth is going on? <laughs> yeah. Um, Where are we? Are we still at the bridge? Yeah. There's uh, a signalman here. Can, can anyone get through to 30 Corps? Exactly. Um, can you raise the artillery net? What, what's working? Yeah. Who's where? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and that was... They were asking the same questions all the time. Yeah. You know, right throughout the battle. Yeah. Because it is such a confusing state of affairs. And with the lack of the ability... I mean... You can understand his feeling that he needs to go off on this Cook's tour because he is frustrated by the fact that the communications network has broken down yep. and that they're not really knowing what's going on. On one level, yep. men can talk to each other from platoon to platoon, yep. in, in most cases from company to company, yep. but once you get beyond that, it's a much more complex state of affairs. Yeah. Um, and it's not a case, as with the film, that they, they will work fine in the desert and so on. No. But there's a lot of reasons for radio failure yeah. here. And, well, the one, uh, but, but, and radio failure was an expectation as well, wasn't it? Yep. That, that they were expecting the kit to not really work. Yep. Um, uh, you know, that's why uh, Digby Tatham Waters uses a hunting horn 
yes. um, uh, uses hunting calls to m manoeuvre his uh, company yep, yep. because it's easier than bothering with a radio. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And also you've yep. got to preserve battery life. You don't know when you're going to be relieved. And they're expecting to be a sort of n an egg, a, a nine-mile exactly. egg shape if yep. the operation succeeded, in which your radio net would have worked. Exactly. What they weren't expecting was the border regiment mm. basically 10 miles from the bridge yep. um, and, a, and a, a campaign... And men you know, scattered all over the place. And, and the fight uh, through the town where what you couldn't do was set up a headquarters and have a radio and do it. Do, that's right. Do things sort of tidily like you're on Salisbury Plain. And, and not the best environment to try and erect radio aerials because yeah. many of these sets required quite substantial aerials to go yeah. with them to function properly. Yeah. And, of course, in a, an area where you're under close combat with the enemy, yep. you do that and you're advertising exactly where you are. Yep. So you're going to draw down... This was one of the lessons from Normandy. Yeah. You put up a big whip aerial for a, for a radio set. So everyone knows every where you water, are. Every uh, water in the bocage is going to hit you. Yeah. Uh, and the same was true, yeah. was true here. But the thing is, I mean, I, uh, the thing is, though, I often think the radios... Uh, and, and you end up having to talk about it. Even if he'd been able to radio the bridge... Urquhart had been able to talk to the bridge, even if he'd been able to talk to one para and three para and coordinate their attack mm. to the town by the museum, even if they'd been able to say, actually, um, let's dro drop the second lift, we're better off deploying the men guarding the, the battalions guarding the drop zone and pushing into the bridge, mm. it wouldn't have made any difference. Because, no. because the German reaction is, the, is actually the thing here, far more than... Yes. He, whether, he, whether, whether he can rearrange, basically, because re I, you know, you get into this battle two days into this battle. Once Urk emerges, he's rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic a little, isn't he? It, it is. It's the, it's the splitting of that force early on. Yep. Um, it is the destruction of the battalions that try to carry on their orders to get to the yep. bridge, um, and the remnants of those coming back. So you're left with a, a penny packet of, yeah. of, of what the division once been. A rump of what, well, most of your infantry yep. strength expended. Yep. And you're lucky that you've got battalions like the 7th King's Own Scottish Borderers that have been largely guarding drop zones, yeah. which are pretty much at full strength, so you can bring them yeah. down into the perimeter. But the bulk of your key forces that you'd expected to carry out this operation have pretty much gone. They're yeah. pretty much blown. Well, yeah, uh, because so by the time Hackett emerges from the hollow in the woods... That's what 150 guys left from yep. his brigade. Yeah, it's staggering the, the casualties yeah. to some of and these. And that's units. in 48 hours. Yeah, straight. Yep. Exactly. Okay, let's move so on. Because there's, there's a there's a radio set talking to us. Yeah, it's Germany the BBC. Calling. Is it the BBC or is it Germany? Is it Germany calling? I Germany do not calling. know. Yeah. <laughs> so there's lots of different rooms in here showing different aspects, not just of. Um, this is about a Dutch resistance, this floor, it, is how it's advertised, it, it, isn't it? It, it yeah. is, yeah. So this is about the experience of the war in Holland, which yeah. had gone from complete defeat with a, the Blitzkrieg in 1940 yeah. through to occupation, through to lots of Dutch people joining the Waffen-SS, yeah. through to resistance, through to the movement of the Dutch population, the Jewish Dutch population, yeah. to concentration camps. So it's, it's, you know, it's an important part of the understanding of the overall picture. Yeah. Perhaps less so for specifically for the Battle of Arnhem. Paddles. There's a paddle here on the wall. Yep. used for crossing the Rhine during Operation Pegasus 1, which was the, the greatest, one of the escape, it uh, was, yeah. mass escape attempts after the battle. It was. Uh, I mean, um, the, these sort of things turn up. Uh, there's a friend of mine who's got a, a little private museum at Hetterin, uh, just on the other side of the Lower Rhine, and he's got one of the paddles from uh, the American crossing of the Vaal. Oh, really? Uh, that turned up in someone's garage, you know, <laughs> and uh, quite, I mean, just quite incredible, really. Such an iconic, particularly, again, because of yeah, the film. Because of the film, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, that's it just sort of speaks volumes an object like that so this i mean um, this museum has 
changed enormously since last time yeah, I was here. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, to, it's to tap into um, a new generation of people. So, uh, and to show objects in context and, and try and add some sort of dimension to them, which is yeah. forever a struggle with museums. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose, the, I mean, like you said earlier, you know, the, the, the people don't know the story of Market Garden. Um, no. And... And, and know even less about the, what happened in, 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 Holland, in Holland between 1940 stop. to 44. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is a very good episode of The World at War about that, which, yeah. which gives you a bit of an insight into the fate that, that Holland had had in those periods, yeah. uh, those years of the war. But uh, most people aren't aware of it. No. But the, uh, the interesting bits, I suppose, from a trying to understand the battle is there's the street reconstructions yes. and battlefield stuff which yeah. is down, well, the on, down is on the next bit oddly enough um I, I live in i live in west london and there's one little neighborhood i walked uh, walked through to visit a mate well I'll go to the pub this friend of mine lives next door to a pub so he's always he's always good for a visit right <laughs> and there's a little there's a little set of streets i have to walk through that are just like the streets um over in um in the town near the near the hospital, right? You know that 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 sort of uh, estate where um, Urquhart got caught, yep. got trapped. Little and narrow time, alleyways, yeah, and, yeah. And little narrow streets. alleyways and gardens and hanging gardens and yep. and and the, proud the, little and brick proud little brickwork and all that sort of thing. And it, and it does look like a garden suburb there when yeah, you yeah, uh, yeah, when yeah, you look yeah. at it. And every time I walk walk through there to see this mate, I'm reminded of of that spot and what happened there. Yeah. And kind of, um, kind of how ridiculous it is. Yes. So we just keep going, yep. working way downstairs. I mean, this. Otherwise, you'll end up in the airborne toilets. <laughs> <laughs> There's a notion, an airborne toilet. Yeah. So it says airborne experience in. Yeah. So it takes you through from a point where they're looking at the drop. They. Uh, they, they hear about um, you know what it was like to come in by glider and. Yeah. Uh, or horrible. By horrible. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean. You know, over the years of bringing veterans here, they said that you know once that um, tug cable was released, there was the sort of silence. The engines were getting further and further away, yeah. and the whooshing noise of the air as the glider went down. So we're in we're in we're in a, a reconstruction, reconstruction of a horse glider, of a horse yeah. and, um, which was the main type of glider that was used here at Arnhem to bring in um, sections, platoons of men, um, and. Uh, and six pounder tank guns. Yep, jeeps, uh, jeeps, uh, the, trailers, seventy-five mil pack howitzer as well. That's right. Yep. Um, medical supplies. Yep. Basically, engineering kit. Absolutely every, yep. everything. A, everything a, a, a division. Because the, that's the thing about six airborne division is it's is it's not just an infantry strength. It's like a. It's a supposedly a three hundred and sixty degree it fighting is. machine, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's a self-sustaining um, body, really, because it, it's going to be dropped behind enemy lines. You know, paratroopers are there to be surrounded, really. Yeah. Um, so they need to be able to resupply themselves, feed themselves, um, give the, themselves their own protection from artillery and mortars yeah. and heavy machine guns, um, and then have different types of units to carry out different tasks, yeah. infantry, engineers, and then no. when there's casualties, you need medical personnel. Uh, and when you look at the... I mean, I know you're going to go there to, to the, the Arnhem Cemetery. There's lots of cat badges in there. It's yeah. not all parachute regiments. No, no, no. You know, and it, and it really gives you an insight into what the makeup of 1st Airborne yeah. Division was about. And that's a mark also of how the battle went, because yeah. loads of people who didn't really come here to do the frontline fighting ended no, up having exactly. to do that. And glider pilots are the same, because yeah, yeah. if you look at what they did on D-Day, which was a very successful airborne operation, uh, they dropped, the objectives were taken, the enemy was pushed back, and the glider pilots... 
although in some cases did contribute to some of the actions, not in, a, in such a big way, were taken back by landing craft back yeah. to the UK. Whereas here, there was no way out once yeah. they were here. And what the glider it, pilot regiment... 1,500 glider pilots? Yeah, it was a staggering number. And they formed their own part of the Oosterbeek perimeter yeah. because they'd not been sent to the bridge. They'd yeah. not been sent to try and get through the blocking areas. Again, they'd been largely in the area around the, uh, around the drop zone. So when it came to forming this defensive perimeter, you had these fully trained soldiers. Yeah. They're not just pilots. Yeah. Many of these guys had served in action in infantry units yeah. or in other types of army unit. But um, So they were experienced soldiers. They were brought in... And and they've formed an absolutely vital That's part like a brigade, of the defence. Almost a brigade's worth it, of infantrymen, yeah. in effect. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. What we have here is we have a we have a, a diorama of a jeep, yep, a and trailer, and a trailer. Bofors, Bofors anti-aircraft gun. And uh, it's a uh, it's not a Bofors. No, it's it's a, um, I've got him. Urkelon. Uh, uh, yes. Urkelon. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and this is in fact that this is one of the famous Arnhem photos, isn't it? Of, of it is. People yeah. leaving the landing coming zone. Coming off the uh, landing coming zone. Coming off the landing zone, and they've, and they've re replicated it here because because yep. the thing is, there's only so many photos. Yes. And I. There is. I've and, poured, uh, poured over them over the years. I've seen them all. And so if you look at the jeeps, these are modified jeeps yep. to be able to get in the horser because they have to take things like the bumpers off and yep. uh, uh, to create. Um, well, make them lighter, narrower. Exactly, to, yeah. to, to fill the space yeah. without damaging the space by getting them in there. Yeah. And then you have to obviously be able to get them out again yeah. afterwards. And that would be the tail would come off, you'd drive them out. That's right, yeah. There's, there's yeah. lugs on the, the central bit of the glider um, so you can pull the thing apart and there's a ramp to, to get the heavy uh, vehicles now that, off. That, that picture there, that, am I right in thinking that's... That is the Utrecht's Veg. That's the Utrecht's Veg. Yep. So the road just outside this hotel. It is further down. Yep. Further down yep. on their way into Arnhem. And that's it, right. Who is that? Is that Staff? Uh, it's the Staff Yeah, Staffers. that's right. Yeah. So, so they're glider-borne soldiers. So they're yep. they're he more heavy equipment. Yeah. There's so more of they, them as well. They, their infantry companies are yeah. up are, are ahead of this yeah. column because this is the support company. Yeah. So this is the six pounders. There's men who were part of the mortar platoons in yeah. there and the heavy machine guns. Yeah. So this is all coming in the. This is one of the famous photos. It is. These are some of the iconic images. Yep. We have some of the iconic images. The guys in this foxhole here. Yep. So these are men from the parachute regiment dug yep. in, not far from where we are now, um, in in the early stages of the building of this perimeter. Yeah. Uh, because you know, they didn't suddenly just build a defensive position. There'd been no plan for that. No. They had to come up with it. Um, and men had dug in because soldiers are very good at digging in when they're under fire. Yeah. Um, and and these guys had started to do that. So it was joining all those bits up to make it a coherent defensive yeah. line. And to not get cut off at the bottom, because that, yes. after all, is the, the vulnerability is if you're cut That's away right. from the river. You, you need to keep your backside on the Rhine, because yeah. if you don't, the enemy will cut you off, uh, and then you really are surrounded, right. and your chances now. of anybody, let alone 30 Corps, getting to you is almost non-existent. Now, that, here no, we have a street scene, and there's a six-pounder here in the corner, which has just gone off. Yes. A ruined car, and I expect... Yeah, there's a, some Germans the other end of this There's some space. Germans, yeah. There's it's, lights. For, you can hear it. You can hear it. You can. And, it, and what it does, it, it gives you an insight into exactly what we were talking about before, which yeah. is that, that urban environment in which most men at Arnhem fought. Yeah. Um, because they were fighting in these streets. And it, and it gives you... It's a fictionalised example yeah. of it, but it gives you a bit of an, an idea uh, behind it. <laughs> and... There, inevitably, a, a clip of a bridge too far. Yeah, and, and I think you just fired a Piat as well. <laughs> <laughs> just for you. Just for me. So, and, and this, you know, this type of house that we're in, yeah. this reconstructed one, this is typical 
of the houses that were here. I mean, you know, being a bit of an inquisitive so-and-so over the years, when you come here, you talk to Dutch people yeah. in some of the houses that are key to the perimeter. And they're so nice and so kind here. They often invite you in. Yeah. And you go in and you get a sense of what it must have been like by going in there, how small some of these rooms were. Yeah. And when we talk about this mouse holing going from room to room, we're talking about tiny spaces here. Yeah. You know, we're not talking about Buckingham Palace. These are tiny little houses yeah. with tiny little rooms and the men are fighting from room to room. It's quite yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got a, a flak, 20 mil flak, yeah. of which the Germans used a lot here. Yes, they did, Not yeah. just to try and fire at the Dakotas, but in the ground roll. Uh, I mean, those things were deadly. Well, 20... the, and they were in the brickworks opposite the embankment by yep. the... By, by the um, uh, uh, by the museum, that, where the road goes down to just an embankment. The two roads come yep. down to just the embankment, and, yep. and there's no cover. And it, no, there's no cover. And that's where First Parachute Brigade, apart from the bits that have got to the bridge, came unstuck. And then, yep. and then the South Staffs, and then, you know... Yep. Uh, uh, that's right. I mean, those 20mm anti-aircraft guns being used in a ground roll were absolutely deadly. Yeah. I mean, they caused... And in the north, in the woods as well, uh, um, yep. in four, four power brigades attempt to get up above, uh, up north of the town over the, above the railway line. That's right. So yeah. we're in the trenches now. I mean, this, right. is, this is symbolising the way that men dug in around the Hartenstein and there's, yeah, a, there's, there's a, a wartime as it was. image of the building as it was in, in 1944. Um, it wasn't trenches like the Great War. No, but these men were trained to dig firing positions and foxholes, mortar pits, machine gun positions, and we're getting and a better sense of that now as we come. And we've round. got a mortar pit here, and yep. then the foot, the footage of the, these guys of firing. Tierney, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's firing his mortar there. The most famous mortar team of the Second World War. Yeah, um, and incredibly, the little tiny depression that was that that foxhole for that mortar is still marked to this day. Really? Yeah, there's a little panel in front of it saying you're at Corporal Tierney's foxhole. No. Um, and, you know, it's only a tiny little dip in the ground. Yeah. But yet, for people coming here, it's one of the and things... Well, they the elevation on that mortar, the, the enemy aren't very far away, no, are they? they're not very far, no. I mean, they're using, as with here, the three-inch mortar, which was the standard one that, uh, that they brought in. Uh, you could put quite a few bombs from that in the air before the yeah. first one hit. It yeah. was a very good weapon. Yeah. But, of course, you know you could only bring in limited ammunition because the yep. ammunition for this was much heavier than small arms ammunition, yep. so you were limited. And this was often one of the first things that began to run out. Yeah. Because in this sort of fighting, that sort of type of weapon well, was that's very the, important. That's the six Airborne, and their report of what happened to them in Normandy, they're for, one of the first things to say, you're going to run out of mortar ammunition. Yeah, absolutely. You're just going to burn it up, and you're never going to, never going to have enough. Yeah, and this is a 75mm pack howitzer. Uh, of the type that was issued to British Airborne Forces. Uh, again, a very good weapon, a very good rate of fire. Um, it, it performed incredibly here. It was a very important... The, the, air, yeah. the artillery side of, of Arnhem, I don't think, is discussed enough, to no, be No, it isn't, is it? The, because the, the, the net stayed open. So I remember talking yep. to Tony Hibbert a long time ago about how, yep. on the night of the 17th, someone managed to drive back here and collect batteries and go back to the bridge. Yep in his jeep he did it yep. the route was still open the yep. southernmost route and the, because of that the radio artillery radio net stayed open yep. and Frost was able to rely on he fire was. from he this he was able battery. to call down fire from this yeah. unit yeah that's right and that was really vitally important and, and at the end of the operation once they decide they're going to have the collapsing bag yeah. um, and they're going to try and get as many people across the Rhine as possible not just their own artillery which was running 
incredibly short of ammo by then, but 30 Corps artillery providing that vital screen yeah, yeah, yeah. was the key element of success in the final phase of evacuation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Brits have got this thing about the most successful part of a battle is the way we get away from it. Yeah. You know, Gallipoli in the First yeah, World War, yeah. Dunkirk in the early part yeah. of the Second World War, and then the end of Operation yeah. Market Garden. Well, which, which um, the evacuation, which Urquhart uh, uh, based on what he knew about Gallipoli. Yeah, didn't he? Exactly, he, yeah, exactly, exactly. And then this represents getting back across the this Rhine. This represents getting back across the Rhine, yeah. And which, uh, at the end of it, when you look at what they were able to do, it's incredible they got anyone back across. Yeah. Um, and it presented a great problem for these men because, you know, airborne forces were trained to do a lot of things. But Swim not, wasn't one of them. <laughs> um, because that's not what they were thinking they were going to be doing. I mean, the thing, the, the thing that, I mean... We'll, we'll, I mean, we're going we're gonna to walk the perimeter later in this series of podcasts, we'll, and we'll be down at the bridge where, uh, at the church where Lonsdale Force were. Yep. The Rhine is enormous. It is. The, the, the rivers here are, are huge, which is why, obviously, taking great big, great big proper road bridges across them is so important. Absolutely, yeah. The, the rivers, the rivers are huge and fast flowing, and when Absolutely. you see the, the freight traffic that goes up the Rhine round here, it's, it, it makes the, I mean, it makes the, it makes the Thames look like a. Like a vicar's pond is ridiculous. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I've interviewed a lot of guys that swam the Rhine, yeah, um, and they saw guys go in wearing their full kit. In some cases, with their webbing, and the webbing took on the weight of the water, yeah. And these guys got dragged under. So very, very quickly, guys realised you got to strip off, yeah. And and one guy, he, he said, uh, he said, that's it. I stripped down to my underpants and I went in. I said, well, um, hang on a minute. I said, you're wearing your beret. You told me that's your original beret. He said, yeah, that's correct. I said, well, how did you get that across then? So I stuffed it in my underpants. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then what we have here. But then we're looking at the cost. You know, yes, this, so this, this brings out the cost in um, the British airborne forces, the Polish forces, yeah. the German side. And then, of course, the Dutch, because a lot of Dutch people got caught up in the middle of this, particularly in Oosterbeek. Um, yeah. and uh, around Arnhem Bridge and then subsequently we, we bombed that area around yeah. Arnhem yeah, Bridge yeah, 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 which yeah. is why many of the men who, uh, from 1st uh, Para Brigade who were killed there are buried on spot do not have any known graves yeah. because their graves were bombed and destroyed by subsequent uh, RAF activity there to yes, bring there's an effort the bridge to, to deny Arnhem to the Germans that's right yeah, yeah. yeah that's right so um, you know it, it was it was a costly operation and I'm sure Historians and podcasters and television <laughs> documentary makers will be asking, you know, could it have succeeded? Um, well, any operation can always, might have uh, succeeded. It nearly did, but there were so many elements of play with this. This yeah. mix of bad luck. There's so many moving weather. parts is, yeah. the, is the problem. Perhaps yeah. too many. I yeah. think that one of the lessons is if you have too many layers to something, then you're inviting disaster. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and that was a key element to this. I mean, the really striking one here is that the tallest column is um, uh, prisoners of war, which is six and a half thousand allied prisoners of war. So basically, right. what is it? 1,700 men escape, 1,500 yeah. men are killed, yeah. and the rest are, uh, are in the bag. They're in the bag, yeah. So when we look at the casualty rates of some of these battalions, and percentage-wise, they're very high, yeah. casualties doesn't mean dead. It means, it means men who are no longer combat effective, yeah. whether that's wounded, whether that's killed in action, yeah. or whether it's taken prisoner. Um, and here, it is a huge number of men yeah. that go in the bag. Well, because you end up with, you end up with uh, 10 guys left from from some, some outfits. That's right. As yeah. far as they know. Companies reduced to 10 people. Yeah, yeah. Battalions reduced to 
to, to 50. Absolutely. Um, They're struggling to find anybody yeah. from some of the some of the smaller units. Probably only a handful of men ever got, yeah. got back across the Rhine. Yeah. And if you look at the medical side of it, a lot of the medics, some well, of which all, were conscientious objectors, yeah. elected to stay behind. Yeah. That they were given the, the chance of getting across, but they refused it because they wanted to stay with the wounded to make yeah. sure they were cared for yeah. properly. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I think is is another type of bravery altogether. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing, more Germans killed, more Germans wounded here than, than British soldiers. Yep. So the cost for the Germans is also... It is. is. Is really high. In that street fighting, the Germans initially were pretty cocky. Yeah. Uh, because um, I think that they never really understood Allied airborne forces because they based, I would guess, their assumptions on it from their own, yeah. uh, which were very different to ours in many yeah. ways. And um, when we, you know, when we look at what they did, they, they forgot that we had heavy machine guns. They forgot that yeah. we had mortars and anti-tank weapons. Yeah. And uh, um, they, they underestimated us, really. Um, and it cost them dear. Yeah. There's a bit of ground. When you go up the, the Stationweg, yep. uh, up towards the cemetery, um, there's a whole row of houses from the period there. And um, they were the front line. You know, in the early yeah. stage of the perimeter battle, and there was open ground opposite those in 1944, yeah. where there's flats now. But that was a kill zone for the Germans because they just walked straight into it. Yeah. Guys dug in in houses with heavy machine guns and Bren guns and yeah. you know submachine guns and mortars and everything else. Um, it played absolute hell's bells yeah. um, uh, with those early German assaults. So uh, yeah, the Germans paid a, a heavy price. Right. Well, I think we've. We're in the lift now. We're leaving the museum. Thanks very much, Paul. My um, pleasure. Just um, fantastic to have you talk about this. My pleasure. And, uh, we could talk all day. Yeah, well, you know, if James is ever tied up. <laughs> <laughs>